Greetings once again, my friends, and welcome back to the Why We Geek podcast, the podcast where we take a piece of geek culture, whether it be big or small, and we dissect it, we analyze it, sometimes we speak ill of it, but for the most part, we speak about why we love it so much. Sometimes you have to throw out a little bit of hate to show your love. Tonight, however, is a big one. This one I've been trying to figure out since the entire the inception of this podcast, uh, because there are two huge fandoms that have to be addressed one way or another. And unfortunately, well, one of them, we already have a rigging for it, um, it and it actually makes sense for it. But the other one, not so much. And unfortunately, we actually missed out on the 50th anniversary for it. So that's even more disappointing. But we're here to talk, talk about one of the two biggest sci-fi fandoms, Star Trek. Like I said, last year, Star Trek celebrated its 50th anniversary. That is an amazing feat. Um, Star Trek has literally been around for both me and my fellow panelists, probably entire lifespans, uh, even more than that, and will probably continue on long after we are gone. But let me go ahead and introduce the panel. Tonight, we've got a little bit of a shorter panel. We had another guy in here, but unfortunately, due to illness, he wasn't able to make it out. Uh, but let's go ahead and introduce Brinton Volley who is going to be joining me for tonight's episode of Why We Geek. Brenton, how you doing? I am fantastic. So, this is a big fandom. I have a feeling that there's a lot of responsibility on our shoulders. Oh my gosh, I, I feel the weight. <laughs> it's heavy. <laughs> That's alright, I feel the weight too, and it is indeed heavy. But we're going to have some fun talking about freaking Star Trek, because... I mean, <clears throat> we may not we we have grown up around it. We may not have been fans right off the bat, but Star Trek has definitely been something that has been part of our lives as we've gone on. And the funniest part is, is that you're actually also going to be part of the other fandom um, when we get into December. And I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it now. We are going to talk about the opposing fandom, Star Wars. But tonight, it's all about the Trek. It's all about the Roddenberries, the Shatners, the Nimoy's, all of that fun stuff. And the only appropriate place to start is where we usually do with these podcasts. Brinton, what was your first exposure to Star Trek and what was the moment that clenched you as a Star Trek fan? Oh my gosh, that is a super awesome question. Um, so I wasn't... I wasn't exposed to some of the earlier stuff. Um, I actually never really watched any of the William Shatner um, Star Trek episodes. I knew of them. And actually, I should probably backpedal back a little bit. There were a few episodes that I did watch. I'm not going to say that I never even... I'm not going to say that I didn't see one episode. I saw, like, you know, a few. Um, definitely less than five. But I did, I did see a few, and I've always been a good. I've always been a uh, sci-fi fan. I've always coupled like san like fantasy and sci-fi together in a nice little bubble. Uh, I know it's two incredibly different genres, but they're two that I respect individually. And I've always enjoyed the whole, um, you know, this this is what our future could be like, and just the imagination that comes with the future. Um, to, an to answer the question, though, of course, uh, I can't really think of a definitive moment in which I was just completely um, just like grasped by Star Trek and just brought into this awesome fandom. I just knew that um, a 
watching some of the William, William Shatner stuff and then some, or at least when I was in high school, when they started doing these newer Star Trek films, I was just like, yeah, this is some pretty wicked awesome um wicked awesome content and great stories memorable actors and uh characters and i just couldn't get enough of it so you you got access to like the original series um and then some of like what it sounds to me like the next generation films that they did um what what about like your exposure to tng or to deep space nine any of the other tv shows that followed uh the original um Nope. Um, I wasn't able to really get any access to those, of course, just thanks to pop culture and the wonderful world of the internet, I was able to familiarize myself with it. Um, it's been a while, like I probably should have re-familiarized myself with it um, before coming on tonight's show, but I, but I didn't, so I'm not too familiar of it right now. Well, then we had an extra task attached onto it because holy crap, and we'll get to the, to this near the end, but we, after so many years, have a new Star Trek series. So the last time we had a, a Star Trek series was Voyager. So early 2000s, I want to say that that ended. And now it's 2017. It took that long for us to get a brand new Star Trek series. And unfortunately, it's not available to everybody unless you go and get CBS's streaming service. So, but at that point... You, Familiarizing yourself was more spent in that time frame of getting yourself familiar with the new series and seeing, you know, where it's going to go and getting your own opinions on it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's just more of the, that's just how I grew up in the fandom. Uh, like you're saying with Star Trek having celebrated uh, 50 years last year, like I turned 25 um, last year. So that makes, um, that makes Star Trek like 25 years older than me. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and, and again, like you're saying, I will be participating in the Star Wars conversation. So I kind of grew up in both worlds. Um, I never really grew up in a family that was just like, you know, I had friends who grew up who were Star Trek families and I had other friends who grew up and they were Star Wars families. I was both and that doesn't mix very well. So I had a very diverse group of friends, obviously, and it always kind of boiled down to, well, what do you like more, Brenton? What are you going to choose? And it's just like, I'm not going to choose what's better because I liked them but both But it didn't equally. matter because the war was being waged in your living room. Yeah. The <laughs> See, the funniest yeah. part is that that's pretty much my story, too. Um, I grew up and my, my family was a big Trek household. Um, the only person that I want to say was not into either was my mom. And uh, the, she she doesn't like either. She's she was more interest interested in like old school farming shows and movies and things like that. So um, going out into sci fi just wasn't her thing. But I remember like my my dad, my older brother and my older sister would watch. And this this was when it was just brand new um, TNG. They'd be watching brand new episodes every Sunday uh, when they or it was either every Friday or Sunday when they would air. But I wasn't into it. Um, I actually went the Star Wars route. I was a Star Wars kid, and I unfortunately fought the war in my own home because where my entire family was pro Star Trek, I was the pro Star Wars kid and would fight endlessly that Star Wars was better. So I, I didn't help. I, I basically made the war in my living room. Uh, but then as I got older, 
and this is usually kind of my story is I, as I got older, got into my twenties, that's when I actually decided, okay, I'm going to give Star Trek a chance. And I, up until that point, I'd seen episodes of pretty much every series. I'd seen some Kirk stuff. I'd seen some TNG. Um, Deep Space Nine was also in syndication at that point. I just hadn't seen Voyager uh, uh, up until that point. And so at, I want to say like the moment that actually clenched it for me that um, I was interested was actually watching Deep Space Nine in syndication. And the only reason they clenched it for me was I love that I, I love that people love the ultra optimistic Star Trek universe, you know, like everything is fine. Technology is awesome. And and we are we live in an age of peace, except for all of the warring alien races that want to come in and, and take us over. Um, I, I, I get that a lot of people like that, but Deep Space Nine was enough of a change to that and enough of a a darker turn that that's what what anchored me um just because that was like during times of war and that was during times of uh uncertainty for every single character and so that's when i actually could anchor myself and made me want to watch like original tng or not the original series i i can watch a few episodes from that but the rest of it is so i hate to use the word old for me that i just can't get it like a couple of episodes i can get into but others i i just have every problem um not the movies though thankfully yeah i like i love watching like i love watching older shows and i mean star trek definitely was one of those that fit that fit the bill for me but very much like what you were saying um you know there are definitely some moments where you're just like man i have just been way too immersed in the different standards that um act for acting that there are today and so when i watch some of these older shows there's you know the that one or two episodes that come by and you're just like oh my gosh this is so bad but i mean but then you just have to sit back and you're like you know that was a different time that was the standard of acting that was what people who wanted to be in who wanted to do that that's what they aspired to be that's how they grew See, up and the, the funny part and is is like the acting was, is never the problem that i have the sets always drive me nuts because I'm like, this is the driving force of technology at this time. I can, I can never take the set seriously. And, and what doesn't help that is that, yeah, the acting style is a little bit more hammy than, than people might ne necessarily be used to. So at, at that point, it feels more like a fifties B movie to me than it does this pioneer of sci-fi television kind of thing. <laughs> it feels like I'm watching, um, you know, the day the earth stood still or something like that, or the, the beast from 50,000 depths that I'm actually watching Star Trek, especially since growing up in the TNG era where, when things do look futuristic, things do look like they're, uh, way different in there. So with that, so th that's kind of our starting point. I know that we really didn't mention enterprise, but well, and we'll get to the, the, we'll get to a lot of the stuff later on uh i'm just curious did you actually ever see anything of uh enterprise at all because that, uh, that no, was like in the latter days of of the upn network and and was kind of supposed to be the well voyager was supposed to be the flagship and then eventually they hoped that um enterprise would do it and uh, so much so they eventually so the, so the thing started as enterprise and then eventually got renamed to star trek enterprise because enterprise wasn't enough for people apparently you couldn't tell what the series was about oh so. my lanta that 
Uh, don't even get don't get me started on so, that. <laughs> that just that just hurts me physically. Because yeah. <laughs> at that point, like, because even as kids, like when we thought of the Enterprise, what was the first thing that came to came to our minds? The Starship Enter- Enterprise. Well, you don't even need to see well, it. Yeah. Ex- well, yeah, exactly. Like that's the first thing that came to my mind too. Like the freaking spaceship. So I just so when you say, "Oh, was it enough for people?" They just needed Star Trek, inter you know, Star Trek slapped on there. It's like, oh my gosh, I am again that, that, just pained. That just shows you like how unfortunately how far that UPN network had fallen. It it really does, and that you know, there's a reason that UPN got bought out, and they were dealing with other things. So uh, the next question that we have here, we, we now have our first moments and kind of favorites in there. Um, the next question I want to get into is movies. So Star Trek has, didn't start out in films. And in fact, what's funny is, and even the most ardent of Trek fans have to agree, Star Wars did, in fact, save Star Trek because they, they actually showed the validity for making films based in the Trek universe. Um, you've said uh, that you've seen at least a few movies in there. So where, what would you actually consider to be your favorite movie or in some cases, like if you've seen the original ones kind of, if you want to compare them, like you could say your favorite original series one and your favorite TNG movies, however you want to do that. But like, what was your, what was your favorite Trek movie that, uh, you were able to see? My favorite Trek movie that I was able to see, I'm actually like, I kind of pulled up a little list on my other screen here really quick just to kind of refresh my memory Uh, just because it's like oh my gosh it's been so long and then I'm kind of looking at some of these dates and I'm like oh my gosh I feel really old too. See what's funny is is like a lot when a lot of these movies came out like they were they were dinner table material for for my family like we were watching them constantly oh no like I I completely, I completely believe it too. Man, I can't, I can't believe some of these movies came out the time that they did. I, it's, it's funny how I was able to even get access and be able to watch any of these. I must have with friends or something, but um, on a, honestly, I don't really remember some of, I don't really remember some of these movies too super well. It's been like way too long for me um the ones that i'm reading right here that are listed under the reboot just like star trek and then into darkness and star trek beyond uh those are the ones that i am a little bit more familiar with just because um in the past eight years that's what i've been watching i well sounds like i need a star trek movie marathon in my foreseeable future but um, right, we can make that happen out of the Okay, perfect. Well, I would say within the last like um, eight to ten years with the three films that we've been given, I would say the one that I really um, enjoyed the most was Into Darkness. Um, that's probably just because I really like Benedict Cumberbatch. Cum- I have problems with the name too. <laughs> I Cumberbatch. know. Cumberbatch. Like, Cumberbatch. Just- that's how you say it. Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Oh my gosh. Well, he's one of my favorite actors, and I love how I can't even pronounce his name. But regardless of that. That's why we like him. We um, can't pronounce his name, and therefore he's earned acting intrigue because of it. I'll just call him Dr. Strange. There you go. That's good enough for we'll me. We'll call him Steve. <laughs> but I thought he was like, I thought he was a pretty good con. Um, I really like, I love the story. I love what they were able to portray in Into Darkness. Um, 
Like, it was... It was just a really, really epic story. Um, not to say that the one before it, just the Star Trek movie of 2009, wasn't good at all, but um, I wasn't, like, too super impressed by Beyond. In fact, I kind of don't even really remember it, and it and it's only been... And it came out last year. Oh my gosh, that's so bad of me. Yeah, Beyond came out last year in July. But anyway... Um, yeah, I, I, I loved Into Darkness. It was, I mean, it portrayed exactly what it was. It was, it kind of had dark undertones. The acting was great. I really loved the story. It was super intriguing. I thought everybody was just super, just like, like they just, they just did a super fantastic job. Every single person that was involved in the film, actor, director, editing alike. So I would say as like again in the past like eight to ten years star trek into darkness is probably one of my more favorite films that i've seen in a long time from this franchise um so we have into darkness um i'm actually going to do like all three because why not like my favorite uh original series movie because i've gone back and i can't watch the original series but i can watch the movies the movies still hold true or still hold up as far as i'm concerned um, and the best movie, I mean, I, I don't even need to explain why, but The Wrath of Khan is probably one of the best Trek films out there. There's really no questioning it. It is not only a good Trek film, but it is a perfect film in what it actually tries to do. I actually kind of agree with Linkara in his assessments of it, is, is if you took a single scene away from it, if you took a minute of footage out of it, you hurt the overall plot of what's actually happening in the film. And so that's actually not only just a good Trek film, but it's actually great for film students to go watch because they will get so much out of out of how that was filmed, what was done in it. Um, it's it's an overall just awesome film. Next Generation, uh, I will actually say I don't necessarily fall with a lot of people where First Contact is the one that they like. My favorite was actually Star Trek Nemesis. Uh, the one, yeah, the one, the other one that people hate, like, of the of the t- that's the sad part the tng movies most of them get a lot of hate uh first contact is fine but then you have generations nobody really likes that you have insurrection and that's just a, a pain in the butt episode <laughs> of the show uh but i like nemesis and, and one of the main reasons i do is because of the mirror things that actually do happen within it as well as i'll admit one of the main things i've i've always liked about sci-fi is like dogfighting of any kind and this was the first time I actually got to see legit dogfighting uh, between these massive starships. And that was always a cool thing to see. So, I, I don't know. Like, like Nemesis just resonates with me a lot more than uh, any of the other TNG films. First Contact is good, but unfortunately, First Contact, I think, is more marred into horror elements than it is actually being a Star Trek story. So, that that's where I have some some issues with it. And then finally, because you brought up the the uh, much debated Kelvin timeline, uh, my favorite one. I actually am gonna land with you. I I, but it's it's almost a tie because I love Into Darkness, but I also love what Beyond tried to do. Uh, so it, so Into Darkness to me is actually a really cool aspect of taking Wrath of Khan, not necessarily just Wrath Wrath of Khan, but um, Space Seed, which is the episode that Khan debuted in the original series because that's actually the script it's based off of 
Um, it's not trying to redo Wrath of Khan. It actually was supposed to, it was supposed to be redoing Space Seed. Um, so at that point, I like the fact that they did that, but they also took interesting twists from Wrath of Khan uh, and tried to tell a brand new story out of it. And, and how would this event... This is one of the things where I don't necessarily agree with people on J.J. Abrams. Um, I do actually like the fact that he takes these pivotal fandom moments and he flips them. And he says, okay, well, then how, do, how is this equation affected by this? In particular, I don't, I'm not worrying about spoiling it, but um, you, know, you have the, the pivotal Spock dying, but in Into Darkness, they decide, no, it's Kirk that should be dying. And how would Spock react to that, especially a more emotional Spock like we have in Zachary Quinto? Um, and it is, it's actually a really cool aspect to be able to say, you know, how would the other friend react if they were put into this situation? It's, a, it's an amazing thing to actually look at. Same thing can be said of the Star Wars universe for J.J. Abrams. I like the fact that he took pivotal moments in Star Wars and flipped them on their head, too, uh, just because there's even more stories to be able to be, able to be told there. But yeah, there you go. So the only reason that I would say Beyond is tie is uh is tied with it is because I also feel like Beyond was telling an amazing story in and of its own right. Um JJ was not part of that movie by any stretch, but the fact that they actually tried to explain, you know, when the Federation was started, it was it had to it had to start as a military organization and then eventually it became a peaceful one. So I like the fact that they had to unearth old elements of the old Federation uh, of people that they had to get for the for the original Federation. And they had to deal with basically their chickens coming home to roost that and also the the homages to the 50th anniversary and to the passing of Leonard Nimoy. Um, I still to this day, like I've watched the scene a couple of times from beyond where um, Spock is is handed his counterparts. Uh, things after he has since passed on and one of the first things you see in his box is the cast photo from Star Trek 6 and it just brings a tear to your eye just like how far we've gone to be able to see this cast where they were then and and unfortunately Leonard Nimoy is no longer with us I think Walter Koenig is actually getting up there in years certainly George Takei is Um, it's definitely something that, that makes you look back and go wow these were the awesome years so there you go. We have our favorites. We have, um, well, we have our favorite films right now. The The next question is, is probably going to get us in a little bit of hot water, Brenton. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But with any okay. Star Trek discussion, this has to be brought up. Otherwise, people do get mad. Wh- who is your favorite Star Trek captain? Oh, my gosh. You, I, I, I want to... I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you go first on this one. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear what you have See to say. See that controversy, first. Cannon? He just aimed it right back at me. Um, I know. I was. I. Uh, I should have. I should have expected you to ask well, that. And well, I and the thing so. is, like, usually that comes down to two names. It's usually Kirk versus Picard. And I'm I'm actually yep. going to. Oh, and I have a visitor. Wonderful. Hi. Are you gonna hear? Are you gonna come in here and help me with Star Trek? Okay. Cool. I'm here. I'll probably edit all this out, but yes, my daughter has actually decided to join us while we uh, work on the podcast. So my favorite Star Trek captain, you know, usually the, de- the debate always comes up with Kirk versus Picard. And uh, for me, neither actually fit. I'm actually with Linkara once again, and my answer is Cisco. Um, I like Picard. 
I don't get me wrong. I I actually like the. I like Shatner. Um, I like what what Kirk was trying to do as a character, and I do like Picard. Don't get me wrong, but um, Cisco has always been the more amazing ca- captain to me. Why? Because as I like to point out to people, he's the butt kicking captain. Um, it's not necessarily that he's trying to be peaceful or he's trying to be diplomatic or he's trying to find new ways to solve solutions or solve the problem. It's that sometimes he looks you dead in the eye and says, well, if you have to get down and kiss her boots, then so be it. And I, I love uh, Avery Brooks's uh, interpretation of Cisco just because it's such a different attempt uh, from what other series try to do with Trek. Because there's always you're always usually getting the diplomat the scientist or the like somewhere in between. Cause I want to say Kirk is somewhere in between military man and, and diplomat. Um, Picard is also that way too. He just leans more on the diplomat side. Um, Jane way is a scientist through and through. So you have to at least say that. And then Archer is probably like a pre Kirk is what they try to do. Like he's trying to reestablish the Kirk archetype. I will also give credit, though, to the Chris Pine Kirk, because like I've said before, I I didn't grow up with the original series. I grew up with the films, so I had kind of a or I didn't even grow up with the films. I didn't see them until my 20s, like and actually understand them. Um, So what spurred me on to actually go and watch those films was the 2009 Star Trek film. Uh, I didn't know who Kirk and Spark were. I knew the fandom around them, and I knew the the many, many fanfics about them, but um, I didn't really know the characters, and so I always looked at the 2009 Trek as basically a way to open that door, um, to be able to, to understand those characters for the first time. So I will also give extra credit to the Chris Pine Captain Kirk, as I got to know him, and that actually spurred me on to go and know the, the William Shatner Kirk. So now, now, unfortunately, you can't avoid it any longer. Uh, who, who you got to say? No, I, well, no, no, I can't at this point. But you did a fantastic segue for me because <laughs> I because it's Captain Kirk for me, and the reason the reason is because um, it's kind of like what you were saying before. He's that captain who is in between a military man and a diplomat, and I think that is what I admire the most out of him is that he is very much in between that he's not going um go ahead sorry we, we've got a uh, my, my daughter's being abducted right now so there you go <laughs> no 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 you're good i was actually um i was pausing to think for a moment but you no know, i just i just love that he's in between um i love his i just love his the crazy antics i love his confidence uh i love um just how sure he is in, in himself and because of like his assurity and his confidence it comes off as a little bit arrogant he makes mistakes he's human uh another thing that i really really i, I really really enjoy just because i fear um that when it comes to uh this type of media sci-fi uh the whole um the whole theme of you know captains and spaceships and exploration and etc 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 that you just get these very mechanical very robotic captains that do everything by the book and try to stray away from error as 
um, inhumanly as possible. And I feel that it takes away from what would actually happen um, in the type of situations that these space crews get in. And Captain Kirk is that person who exposes himself in a vulnerable way, proving that, hey, it is in the far future that all of this is happening, but humankind is still very imperfect. And these are my imperfections, but my, I have a crew that stand behind me on everything that I do. And they respect him for it as well. And I just love the, um, oh, wow. The word is escaping my head, so I'm just going to have to use a different one. Um, just the, the relationship between Kirk and Spock. Um, and I use relationship not in the sense of... We're, we're not writing you know, a thousand fanfics right now. We're not. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm definitely not writing a fanfic at all. <laughs> but um, I, love the, I love the relationship between them, especially in uh, these newer uh, in these newer films bet- um, with Zachary Quinto and... Um, Chris Pine because because they portray those characters so well and so beautifully and that's why I was so happy that you ended your what you were saying giving extra credit to Chris Pine because he totally 100% deserves it uh, I, f- I feel like everything that I've just mentioned about Captain Kirk's character is portrayed so beautifully through Chris Pine and then we do get to see Zachary Quinto, with all of his amazing acting glory, um, portrays Spock so so wonderfully, and just you can tell that the relationship between the two actors is there, and they're able to portray the relationship of captain and first officer so perfectly. Not together. only that, but um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you got the same impression, but when I watched the original 2009 Trek, and then watched all of these later films, I almost got a, a feeling like not only did they understand the characters, but I think they also understood the actors too. I've never been able to confirm this, but I couldn't help but wonder, had Chris Pine spent like a solid week with William Shatner before he took on the role? Did Zachary Quinto do the same thing with Leonard Nimoy? And with Leonard, it's it's a little bit more plausible because of all the commercials that happened to, to uh, promote the Trek film but not mm-hmm. necessarily with Shatner. But at the same time, Chris Pine got the character so much that I couldn't help but wonder if like, if if Bill Shatner and Leonard Nimoy just a couple of dozen times took them out to lunch and just had that interaction with all of them. And it's actually one of the things that makes me feel bad for Carl Urban. Because when you, when you look at the, the Trek relationship in that particular context, it's a three-way relationship. Uh, because you have, you have Spock, who's the ultra-logic, you have McCoy, who's the ultra emotional, and then you had Kirk to balance the two. So you always had that conflict going on. And Carl Urban, unfortunately, I'm not saying he did bad by any stretch, but unfortunately, he never had that time with DeForest Kelly. And I, I actually wonder if that would have strengthened the character even more if he'd actually been able to spend some time with DeForest Kelly and know what where he was actually going with with Bones. And unfortunately, he didn't get that. But I actually do feel like in the the three movies we did get, that relationship was maintained. That relationship was intact. And and that's what can sell it. No, I no, 100%. I completely agree with you. And um and I I don't know if this is just me, but I like 
I kind of, I like it a more emotional Spock. I totally, like, I understand the Vulcan race. I understand, um, I understand, like, I understand their culture. I understand why they are the way they are and why they behave the way they are. I'm a psychologist. It, like, it intrigues me. So I get it. But I like, I like more of the vulnerable Spock. I like more of this Vulcan who's been around these, who's been around humans, who's, he sees emotion, he sees behavior, he sees how people react, and etc, etc. I could go on with so many different synonyms. And I love when he exposes himself, um, especially when Kirk is dying in, in Into Darkness, and he's just, and he just loses it, and he does things that are so irrational, something that's completely unbefitting of a Vulcan, and you're just like, this is so freaking cool. And you can tell in that moment that he cares for his captain and that he's willing to avenge his death, which thank God he didn't actually die. No spoiler alert, because that movie's been out for a while, yeah. people. But <laughs> uh, Super um, blood. That's all I need to say. <laughs> so, I mean, just just a fantastic duo. I wouldn't be shocked if um, Shatner and um, Nimoy took them out. Uh, tried to help them understand the persona of the characters that they were going to be portraying. Not um, only, I mean, not only I, that, but the relationship between them, because I really do think that the relationship between them fueled that. Exactly. If I, you know, if I was in that position, I would want to be taking notes and wanting to learn from the best, from the person who portrayed the um, the characterization of those of those two fictional people. Um, with all of my heart. That way, when it came time for me to perform the way that I, the, in the way that I have been expected to, then I am able to deliver um, and do what is expected of me. Well, so, and also what helps on that is like, unfortunately, with the original series, they couldn't go into a lot of in-depth explanation. Um, but the Kelvin timeline, JJ made sure that he could explain a lot of aspects. And one of the things I actually think fuels, because I agree with you, I love Leonard Nimoy, don't get me wrong, but I, I love the fact that now you get two different sides to Spock in how that character interacts because Leonard could be seen as more the logical side. He was following what Roddenberry wanted wanted to happen, and that's fine, but then with Quinto, you got a more emotional side, and part of that also helped was helped by being able to go into his background in the original film. Like we got to see for the first time ever a Vulcan classroom. That was, that was a scary experience. I don't know about you, but I looked at that and went, Holy crap. That's like quiz day every day. I, yeah, I just know I could, I could never and, do something like that. Yeah, And, I and don't everything that was happening in that, in that, um, in that capsule was like philosophical debates. Not like you and me were in second grade. We're like two times two. This is, this is a philosophical situation. Who is in the right? And then he has to actually announce it. And he has to tell you where the theorem was from kind of thing. And then on top of that, we also got even more empathy with Spock because his home got destroyed in the first film. Um, and actually one of the, one of the better moments I like the, don't get me wrong. I like the, the flip in into darkness, but one of the more poignant moments for Spock, in my opinion, came in the first film when he has that talk with his dad after Vulcan has been destroyed. Like, after he has removed himself from command and he is just angry. How he got to have a really great moment with Sarek 
um, explaining that sometimes emotion doesn't make sense. Most of the time, emotion doesn't make sense for a for a Vulcan, but in some cases it does. Um, I, I don't know if you remember the moment, but he's like, I never told you actually why I married your mother. I married her because I loved her, which for Vulcan, that's illogical. Love can never play into the equation. And so at that point, it was such a an awesome mortal moment that I think not only strengthened the Spock character, but also Sarek, considering what came later for the Sarek character in TNG. So I, I really do like a lot of what they what they tried to do there. Um, since we're kind of on the subject anyway, I want to bring this up uh, because it kind of has to be. This is the debate that we now have. Um, we now have the debate of, you know, we have the timeline that exists for us now. Like we have TNG and Deep Space Nine, all of that. But now we also have what is now controversially called the Kelvin timeline, um, which is now basically an alternate timeline to be able to go and revisit the Kirk Spock days, but with a different twist kind of thing to, to not have everything play out the way that it was intended. And for some, that is a travesty. It is something to be hated uh, because we should be getting a Trek series that is in the current timeline that we know of, that we should be going another hundred years further just to see where things are going. And instead, we we are more based in the Kelvin timeline and trying to tell stories there. Where do you actually stand on that? Do you think the Kelvin timeline is a bad thing for Trek as a whole? Do you think it actually pushes it backward or do you think it strengthens it? Um, you know, I think, I totally think it strengthens it. I mean, I just, I just spent a good little bit here talking about how much I loved Kirk and Spock and just all those stories and that timeline in general. So I think that what we're being given right now is only going to, again, uh, for lack of a better word, strengthen what we have already received and continue to portray or at least for me continue to portray what i loved in um continue to portray it so beautifully and i always like new twists on stories on timelines um i'm excited to see where it goes i'm excited to see uh what's done with this timeline what kind of stories what you know what could possibly happen next it's always something that has intrigued me and that's why I can sit here comfortably and say that I'm like completely okay with it happening. Yeah. I'm kind of there too. Like granted again, like I, I know that there are some that are going to make the arguments like, well, you guys didn't watch all the series and every single episode, you're not purist and therefore you don't understand it. But at the same time, um, how do you, how do you get, I mean, the problem here is not necessarily returning viewers. You need to get new viewers on the product. You need to get new eyes on it. And I actually think that, the idea to go into this new timeline and tell old stories, it helps because then you can have that occasional guy who has a Trek fan as a friend who can then maybe explain some of the things that are going on and why they are important, but also explain why maybe the change that they go into is equally as important. Um, why we actually do need to know Khan as the way we do in Into Darkness compared to Ricardo Montalban, rest in peace, Ricardo. Uh, your your manly chest will never be missed. Uh, seriously, man, that chest. He was ripped even at like 60. He was, it was awesome. Because uh, that's Wrath of Khan timeline. But I mean, that's the other cool part is that we get to retell these characters with modern actors. Um, 
I mean, the perfect example, we got Benedict Cumberpatch uh, as Ricardo Montalban, and it worked so well. In fact, um, somebody was just barely asking me, like, what is your favorite Benedict Cumberbatch role that you've seen? And I flabbergasted the guy because I said it was Khan. Khan is probably Khan is not only my first exposure to, to Benedict, but I actually think it's probably the best role that he's ever done because it's so raw and emotional compared to the other stuff that he's done. I'm not saying that the Stephen Strange isn't, but there's a lot of points where Stephen has to be detached. Um, Smaug is kind of the same thing. He has to be grandiose and, and, um, it's kind of hard to judge a guy based off of just a voice, a voice performance and Sherlock. There's, there's no comparison here. Like I, I love, I love him in Sherlock, but just how passionate he got in some of his arguments and into darkness. Um, the fact that he was, he was basically a firebrand for most of the arguments that were being made, but then he knew when to pull back and say, Oh, please, Captain, would you are you going to hit me again kind of thing? And every moment actually kind of sat uh, redefined the characters, in my opinion, or and also redefined the relationship for them. So I don't necessarily see the Calvin timeline as a bad thing. In fact, it's probably better, in my opinion, than Enterprise because Enterprise went too far back because it. I'm not saying that Enterprise is bad, but the part or the the awesome part about Roddenberry's vision is that, you know, we're looking 200, 300 years into the future and seeing where we could possibly go. And the purpose of enterprise was to take us back 200 years and show what we overcame, but we didn't want to see that. We wanted to see the ultra optimistic future kind of thing. So, and I think that's what people enjoy most about sci-fi even to begin with. So I find it funny that this is like a debate and that, there are people who are legitimately bothered by this timeline because when it comes to sci-fi nobody cares about the past sci-fi is always about the future sci-fi is always about you know, always about these are the struggles that we have overcome as a human race and how far have we come in this per- in this predicted fictional two to 300 years later scenarios. I mean, clearly we're not going to be around in two to 300 years. The coolest part is, is like some of the greatest stories in any story medium have been told and they're based three to 400 years in the future. Just amazing how they were actually able to go about that. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. Um, Ultimately, I think the point I wanted to make here is, is that I feel that a requirement that if you want to write sci-fi, I feel like a requirement is that you are thinking two to 400 years from your actual time period. Um, or like, like if I'm going to write about, like if I want to write sci-fi, I'm not going to think about 1990. Like we didn't even have the, like the internet was still like a thought in process in the 1990s. Like what, like what kind of sci-fi am I going to write about the 1990s? I mean, I could come up with something, but it's going to just be really, really bad because I grew up in the 90s. I know what was yeah, if you, technologically there. If you were writing about the 90s and maybe the 40s, then, then you'd be able to do something with it because it's 50 years in the future. Go nuts with the idea. But that's where Ron, again, where Ron Barry's plan works is that it it needs to be 200, 300 years in the future just to see where technology has taken us and how great technology is. Um, 
let's just not do the insurrection route where instead they become a bunch of, well, vegan douchebags. <laughs> That's the only way I know how to explain that. That um, the, the focus of insurrection, they drive me nuts. I, I never thought I'd see pretension in a Star Trek series, but wow. Um, that's nah, gonna happen yes. so, so the the next question i want to get into before we actually get into discovery itself because now we have a new series that we can get into um as much as we love the captains okay this is one of the things that actually bugs me about the debate of of trek is that always the captains get brought up as if they basically ran the show they were the anchors they were the the only reason that show was kept alive for as many years as it was and people tend to forget the characters that were shaped around them that had just as many awesome moments as the captains themselves did. And so I actually want to open this up to your favorite character aside from the ones that get talked about a lot, um, namely like the captains and in some cases like the first officers. Um, so I, I'm actually going to I'm going to I'm going to restrict you a little bit because we talked a lot about Spock. And so at that yes. point, I think Spock needs to be limited there, too. I think the other ones are obviously Riker. I I love him, too, guys. He's a great guy. I love his beard. But um, I think he needs to be kind of taken out of the equation. There's really not one for DS9 and the others. But with that being said, your favorite character aside from these in Star Trek? Well, uh, the first person who comes to mind, or I guess I should preface this by saying, and I mean, I, I obviously I won't say Spock. I've already... Uh, talked enough about him and Kirk, but I, when it comes to these type of uh, television shows, uh, just the whole idea of uh, we're on a spaceship and you know there's, you know the captain and the first officer and all the people in the background that make the ship work and you know it's it's just one big huge happy giant family and each person has their own individual role and specialty with what they've been trained and what they've learned and studied and etc etc and i've always enjoyed uh watching what goes behind the scenes um watching you know what people would consider the little things that get overlooked but um i really really liked and I'm referring, and I'm referring mainly to some of the newer films that have come out. I really love Scotty, um, probably just because it's played by one of my favorite, another actor that I truly love, um, and I think he does it like he does a fantastic job um, in his role with making just like when he talks about the ship and when he talks about oh this isn't working this needs to happen if i do this then this will happen which is super dangerous but i'm going to do it anyway for the sake of the enterprise and etc 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 i just sit there and i'm just like oh my gosh i feel like you like i feel at that point it's not necessarily being good at acting and memorizing a script it's i went out of my way to figure out how all of this stuff actually legitimately should work so that as i'm talking about it i know what i'm actually talking about so as i'm trying to portray this information to this fictional captain i have legitimate concerns if i do this this is gonna happen oh this is broken this is why this is how we're gonna fix it um I also really, really liked Bones. Um, I mean, I'm not. I mean, I could, I could never do any of that medical crap. <laughs> I like, I'm too. I'm like way too squeamish around blood. Um, 
I mean, I'm obviously I I'm a brain guy, but I'm not like a brain surgeon guy. I'm more of a why does he you know what's going on in your brain to make you act like this? So I always have had a huge. Um, huge respect for people who go into the medical field that's why i think i um like i am just so proud of my little sister for where she's gotten in her career being an rn now but um but anyway the point i'm trying to make is i also really like bones uh he just brings some really nice charisma to this little to this little um, to the USS Enterprise family. Again, just somebody who I personally feel has gone out of their way to fully understand what they're talking about. So as they are, you know, just saying these words that have come off a script, it sounds like they legitimately know what they're talking about. It doesn't sound fake. It doesn't sound like they're, you know, acting. It sounds like they are saying what they know, knowledge that they have received, which I think all actors should do regardless of genre um, or regardless of what the premise of a film is. But those are some of just my favorite characters. Without them, without the things that they do for the Enterprise, like Captain Kirk, Spock, everybody else, just like they wouldn't be able to do what they could do. The Enterprise would be a failure. And the best part about like... so. The, the stuff that we're discussing, uh, I find it funny that like the, the people you bring up specifically are the ones where 80% of the techno babble has to come from. It can't come from the captain. <laughs> the captain has to sound plain sensed. The captain has to sound like he's he's the he's the guy who's going to explain it to you roughly or it's, or he's going to have it explained to him roughly. But yes, the, the ones that you explain, Scotty. Um, McCoy, Spock, they're the ones that have to basically take all the deck, the techno babble that Roddenberry put on the script and they have to bring that to life. They have to actually make it sound believable. And how do they do it? In some cases, uh, I actually do like what they've done with the films. Um, in particular, uh, anytime that I'm trying to think of a specific example, like Carl Urban, when, uh, he's trying to smuggle Kirk aboard in the first film. And he gives he basically gives him an injection with a disease. And then they find out roughly that Kirk is allergic to this injection. And so at that point, the, the reactions that he's actually having are, it's okay. He's just dealing with us. <laughs> you know, like that's not supposed to happen. Um, I like the fact that they do that. Plus when, when somebody questions bones, he's just got to sit there and go, what do you think? I'm some finagling 20th century surgeon. This isn't the time when we're cutting off limbs with saws. Um, that's the time when you actually do believe the medical techno battle. The same thing for Scotty is, you know, as much as we want to make the joke about, I cannot, I cannot unite that a law is a physics captain, but that's basically what's being asked to be happening. Um, so Scotty yeah, has to sell exactly. why that is literally impossible. And here's the theory behind it. And even though it's just a paragraph of him going, you just can't, you kind of do that captain. Um, we all believe that. Yeah. He's the guy who's actually studied this and he knows that this is wrong on so many levels kind of thing. And so I, I, I agree with you. I think the, the hardest job to sell on any star Trek series is the ones that actually have, have the techno babble go on kind of thing and they have they have to sell it because if it's not working then if the audience is not brought into the techno battle the series ain't working kind of thing exactly um, completely agree with you my favorites uh I- it's actually kind of funny because i'm going to bring up a science officer and and i kind of this guy gets brought up from time to time but not as much as he should 
In fact, these two don't get brought up where as much as they should. Uh, my first overall is Lieutenant and later Lieutenant or later on Commander Worf. I've always loved Michael Dorn's character in again. I, I got to know him more in Deep Space Nine, but that made me go back into TNG to see his development there as being the first ever Klingon in Starfleet, uh, being able to see some of the struggles as well as kind of the read because uh, at that point, the original series Klingons were defined way differently than the next generation ones were the whole concept of honor and being a warrior race things like that. So I always loved those stories that actually were happening for Worf. And I love the, that the evolution flows so well between TNG, which ended, I think early to mid nineties and then deep space nine, um, where he didn't even show up until the fourth season and they flowed it. They, they flowed it so well, not just, um, the story with the TNG stuff, but also the stuff he was dealing with from uh, from Star Trek Generations at that time. I've always loved that character. And anytime uh, Michael Dorn takes on a video game role, a voice role of any kind, I'm always on board for it because he is the the guy who needs to sell a warrior race kind of thing. But the other special mention I want to give is this guy should be mentioned as much as Spock, and he very rarely is in, in discussions that I ever talk. And that is Data. Brent Spiner sold that role in so many different ways. Um, just being able to be the emotionless android, trying to, in a Pinocchio-esque way, learn about humanity and then emulate it. Um, I always loved a lot of the interactions, especially in the later seasons when Data gets a cat. And so at that point, he's like, hmm, I usually put the food out, the food out spot and then you eat it. Perhaps if I leave it out for another six hours you will be compelled to eat it. You know, like at that point he takes a, a normal conversation and he goes intriguing, you know, like that was an awesome thing to see Brent pull off. And I, and I don't know if you've ever looked these up on YouTube, any con interactions between uh, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner are hilarious. They will literally bomb each other's Q and A's. It's, it's great. And they will, they will ask the, the worst troll questions ever. That's, Oh my gosh, there's, that's that's perfection. There's right actually there. one where, where Brent Spiner goes to a, a Picard Q&A at a Trek convention, and he's like, um, um, Sir, did you actually know that, that Data was the more popular character on the show? And how do you feel about that? <laughs> and so at that point, oh my gosh. Patrick Stewart is playing with it. And so I've, I've even heard these guys are, are major friends even to this day, uh, even with all of the trolling. So I, I always love that. But the only the main reason that I want to bring up data is because a lot of major pivotal moments happened with him that I don't think he's uh, he should be taken out of a conversation, especially in one particular episode. Um, and I would I would encourage you to go look this up on Netflix if you can. Um, it's a TNG episode called The Measure of a Man. It's probably, in my opinion, one of the best Trek episodes ever done. And it was simply because uh, the the whole premise of the story is that Data has been reassigned to a scientist that does not acknowledge any humanity within him, just sees him as a tool, not even as, a, as an android, but just as a tool to be able to figure out how to mass produce him and actually puts in the official orders to get him moved over so that they can take him apart and analyze his brain and, and all that stuff. And it's it's kind of chilling because this is like the beginning of season two so people have already gotten to know data um 
And so at that point, they actually have to engage in a court, like a, a Jag-esque court in Starfleet. This is the first time we've ever seen anything like that. Um, and I, I don't think it was, I don't even think it was done until four seasons into, no, five seasons into Deep Space Nine. We never saw a tribunal ever again. And this whole, the whole purpose of this case was to determine whether or not Data was sentient enough to decide his own fate because he refused to go and, and do this experimental refit. And it's actually an amazing episode to define like this Android. Where does he actually sit in the concept of sentience? Um, so I'd actually recommend that to you. It's, it's in my opinion, one of the best TNG episodes, if not the best, and it's probably one of the best Trek episodes ever. I will definitely give it a look. And with that, I, so I wanted to give those two a, a a major round of applause, especially since both of them actually loved doing horrible things to Patrick Stewart. Um, Cause the, the other one that I love is apparently Michael Dorn had like a play background. And this was when Patrick came into the show, he was coming off of a play background. He, that's all he had ever done was the British plays. And so Dorn would play with him because he was always nervous on camera. He was always nervous that he wasn't doing the right performance. And Dor Dorn would always play with him and, would regret it later because holy crap, he'd ham that shit up <laughs> after. So th there's actually one thing where Michael Dorn's brought it up at a, at a panel. He's like, and I'd always do these jokes where I would take like a random thing and stab him with it kind of thing. And the, the uh, so he actually explains it. He was the old King sits unawares of the assassin that looms above him and thus is struck down with a banana. <laughs> and so at that point, Patrick would take the banana and actually go, oh, and he would ham it up for like 20 minutes, which halts. Oh my Which gosh. for TV show production, 20 minutes is a long time, especially when people are ready to go. And so, yeah, yeah those, those were awesome moments. I actually recommend if you could find some of those panels on YouTube, they are amazing. But I, I'm digressing a little bit. And the, the final thing that I want to get into is, again, we have a brand new series the first time since uh, the early 2000s where we have Star Trek Discovery. Yes, it's based in the Kelvin timeline. Yes, is it a departure? It doesn't even have Kirk or Spock in this particular series. Um, and it does have a good start. I actually would say it's got a, a decent start cast. Uh, but right now it's basically on its own interpretation and trying to tell a story, a Star Trek-esque story within the Kelvin timeline. So you've actually watched a little bit further than me because I was only able to watch like the first two and a half episodes of it. And I blame 80% of this on the CBS player. That CBS player is horrible. Oh, I was just watching, like I was trying to watch Criminal Minds the other day uh, because I've, because now I'm like, fully caught up to like the most recent episode with that as well and oh my gosh it was so annoying and i was uh, I, I i hate it too but it's the only way i can watch this television show like you were mentioning earlier anyway can, so, continue. so yeah go, why don't you go ahead and go in because uh, you've watched up until the most recent episode of discovery so you probably know you probably even know things about it that i don't know why don't you go ahead and give your thoughts on discovery and where it stands as far as a trek series for you yeah, absolutely. I think, first off, I think it's a wonderful addition um, into this incredible franchise. Uh, I mean, I, I love um, 
I love the idea that it is based around a main character who is human, who grew up in a Vulcan society and pretty much um, tried her very best to base all of her decisions off of logical thinking, very much like a Vulcan. And, you know, she, I mean, she's, she's human. She's going to falter. She's going to make mistakes. And that's, um, that is a theme that is that consistently runs um, through each and every episode that I have seen thus far. But the emotions are raw. The story is the story is intriguing. Um, with every passing with every passing week, I just kind of sit there and I'm like, you know, what's the end game here? You know, what's like, why why is so and so doing this, and how is so and so going to benefit from? doing this because of that and i'm being very very vague here just because i'm not wanting to spoil it for anybody yeah who still yet wants to let's watch play it, it safe I, here it, yeah because a yeah, lot of people here's the thing a lot of diehard trek fans are not doing this out of protest because of the cbs player so i really don't want to spoil this for people yeah exactly i mean i mean i'm more than happy to like rewind timing spoil everything all over again that we just talked about earlier but no this is something that is brand new i'm not going to spoil anything we uh, um, I, I am you know, i should I'm also gonna... point out we can talk about the pilot because that debuted on cbs television so we can't talk yes, about that, that did. but anything past that point i mean yeah anything past that point is hard just because because like i said the plot is intriguing it's um with all the other like sci-fi shows that are that are new this fall that have come out um star trek discovery is is something that i really want to like is something that i look forward to watching every single week um they have so much representation in amongst the humans in terms of um like diversity um with like um, culture, the LGBT community, um, bringing in like mental health awareness, autism awareness. It like everything is just so like it's it's di- it's diverse. That's the best way I can put it. And that's another thing that I absolutely love about this show. And just to tack onto that diversity, I mean, again, the main character is black and she's female you don't really like get that combination at all on on television i feel um and if you do get like strong if you do like watch television shows with like a strong black female role it usually involves that female doing stereotypical things that our society has created in this messed up culture that is the united states of america but instead this is um this is a woman who um yeah if you were to compare um is it michael burnham is that her name michael so if you compared her to say um nathan's gonna smack me for saying this but the like the leading uh black woman on the fosters where she's more fulfilling the the stereotypical role in current day tv there is such a, a a divide between those characters oh absolutely you just um, not not just in not, pretty, not not just in genre aspect, just in people in being a person kind of standards. There's such a rift between them. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I really really enjoy about the show is um, 
character development because you just see so much growth um, in Michael. Oh, I mean, and again, man, I'm going back onto the tangent of diversity because I love how diverse this cast is and how diverse the um, members of the USS Discovery are. But um, it's a black woman named Michael. That's not really a woman's name. Anyway, now that I'm done with that tangent, because I don't want to go back to diversity, character development. Like, from, like, episode one to, like, the most current episode that's aired on the CBS Access, um, like, Michael has developed so much as a person. And then the people that she interacts with, the people whom she meets, um, even they, from, like, the moment she meets them in their respected episodes to the most current one, growth, change, a desire to want to improve as a person, improve in their roles in the USS Discovery, you know, do this all for our captain. It's, it's just so, it's just so awesome. And I just love every single minute I watch that television show. And in fact, when, I mean, like the episode for the the episode for next week, just a little preview that they slated. Um, like it, like it looks awesome. Um, I feel like I feel like I can't wait to see how all this growth that they have done in these like five six episodes is gonna like come together and how much more they're even gonna grow from what we've seen or at least what I've seen in this preview. So. I mean, if you're that person who is protesting, you know, the reason why you have to get CBS access to watch this show, I mean, I would just give it, like, I would just give it a chance. I mean, I know it's like, I know it's like an extra subscription thing, but like, I really, really like this show. I feel like it's, I feel like this is the television, like, this is the Star Trek that we have been waiting forever for. The bottom line is, is like, Voyager. when you look at current TV networks, this series could bring people back to CBS in droves. It really could. And that that's what, like my only argument with this whole thing is that this is the first Star Trek series. And a, I, I'm going to be there with you. I'm going to say a good Star Trek series in years. And this the only thing that I would actually say was a bad decision as and and I'm kind of a naysayer to all access is because this could have easily made you the most dominant network right now. Like if you put a Star Trek show on that was amazing to watch and everybody would be watching, you'd be, you'd probably be further up than HBO at that given point, because how many of the game of Thrones audience would leave to go watch discovery? How many of the, uh, of the walking dead audience would, would go and watch discovery because they grew up with it or they grew up with Star Trek. So that's, that's my only, my only issue with it is like, you had such an amazing opportunity to bring this out to people and just print money with it because every, everybody would come in. You, you'd start seeing record numbers again in, uh, in TV viewership. Um, but I'll, I'll also couple this with you because I haven't seen every single episode. And unfortunately, a lot of that I blame on the all access player. I do not like it. I had so many problems trying to just get to watch the episodes that I did. And uh, I'm already there with you. I, I, the the diversity is there, at least from what I've seen. I, I apparently haven't seen as much as you have because uh, you were talking about people with autism and all that. I'm like, 
I haven't seen a character like that yet, but I'm just getting introduced to the Discovery crew. Like I'm halfway into that introductory episode into Discovery kind of thing. So I don't even know like half of that ship, but the character Michael Burnham is basically, as far as I'm concerned, what sells this show. And and I find it funny you bring up this diversity. She not only is diver- diverse in how her character is made, she's also breaking Star Trek records too. Um, being that she is the first ever mutineer of Starfleet. Like, you, they never thought they'd say those words, and all of a sudden you now have it. Um, and to the people who are going to scream out to me, she was Maquis before Maquis! Well, this is Kelvin timeline. We don't know if the, if the Maquis were ever formed, kind of thing. So, yeah, Starfleet's first ever mutineer, that's, that's already something to consider. And I love the fact that because of that, it makes her such a a wild card on any ship that she's on. Like it, it was there when she was on her original ship. It's there on discovery because you have people who think she's badass because she did that. But at the same time, you also have the former second officer of her first ship. And now the first officer of discovery who, who openly admits to her right to her face. I don't trust you. And I know how to stop you. So if you want to start crap on this ship, I know how to stop you and I've made plans kind of thing. So I actually did like that aspect of the character as well as some of the new characters that were being presented. The Jason Isaacs captain. Oh man, that's a, that I could already tell you I'm liking him, but I really want to know what the secret to discovery is. I just got so fed up with the all access player. I was like, Son of a, I want to know the secret, but I don't want to deal with the stupid player. Um, but I have a feeling one big fix for this also is that um, I think they've already admitted that this is going to happen, that the, that the first season will be put to physical media at some point, and you're going to see DVD sales just skyrocket on that thing. Well, yeah, absolutely, because I mean, I know, I mean, I know it, all it takes is one person to all. Yeah, all it takes is it, it only takes one person to make a significant change, but I mean, I mean, I could only tell people, you know, give it a chance, give it a chance, give it a chance. But I mean, I can't convince every single person uh, to do the CBS access. Um, and so when that time comes, when they can physically obtain the episodes, I mean, yeah, those it's everything's just going to fly off the shelves. I, I will also say that um, I, I can't confirm this, but I think Amazon's worked out a deal with them so that um, at the very least, you can get the pilot on Amazon if you want like you 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 can get oh, the very kind of cool. like how um I don't know if you ever saw this but the new DuckTales that happened with Disney XD they put that out to YouTube to Amazon because they wanted people to see it and they put it out for free kind of thing oh. so I have a feeling that um once we get deeper into the season I I have heard that a deal is being worked out to at least put the pilot on Amazon so that people can see that if they missed it on its on its televised date uh, which I think is actually a great idea. But but again, if this thing actually gets a physical release, whether it be Blu-ray, whether it be uh, DVD, it's going to skyrocket sales. Um, Completely agree. Because people want to see this series. It's, oh my gosh, it's it's just so good. I, I'm really, really enjoying it. And I, I just look so forward to seeing where this could go um, the, in the years The one other come. thing that I want to bring up is kind of like a wrap-up to it is... Um, because Discovery is awesome, and, and as much as we would like to tout how many awesome things that it's doing, 
I really don't want to get into spoiler territory for people because I know some dedicated Trek fans who really want to know that stuff. But this is something that's been um, indicative of the Kelvin timeline itself. And I think it needs to be brought up because it, it shows its face in Discovery in a great way, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, ever since we've, we've done the Kelvin timeline, we've seen an increase in the makeup budget. So, like, you've probably at least seen a, a concept photo, or not a concept, but like a cast photo of Lieutenant Worf kind of thing. And the, and the makeup they were doing to his forehead to make him more Klingon. Now we have such a bigger, more increased makeup budget and i've seen some diehard trek fans actually kind of look back and go this is kind of weird it seems like they're almost trying too hard to emphasize like like they're putting too much money into the makeup budget to make these characters look more alien or in some cases i've seen some trek fans actually say like they are literally trying too hard to make these aliens look either menacing or um look out of the blue kind of thing. What What is your kind of take on that with the makeup budget? Do you think they're, they're doing the right thing in this regard by going with these full on facial masks, or do you think they're actually hurting the cause? Hey, if they have the money to do it, why not? <laughs> I mean, I mean that that's my whole viewpoint on it. Well, um, no, but it, and, and here's I, the thing, like very few people were complaining about this in the, in the Abrams movies. Yeah, like that like I mean honestly, I feel like I feel like people just need to complain about random crap just for the sake of complaining about random crap. I mean, it's 2000 it's 2017. We have the talent, we have the makeup, we have the money. We have the like I mean I mean if if you're going to do something right, you go all the way and you go a little bit further. You don't hold yourself back. You don't do the bare minimum and less than the bare minimum. I mean, if you're gonna, like, if you're gonna want, like, if you're gonna portray an alien race in a movie or in a television, you're gonna spend the money to accurately portray that. And you're gonna, you know, and hire the best people to portray it so they can go all the way and a little bit further and put in all that time to make it look authentic. I don't want people to come in in half-ass alien makeup just for the sake of trying to try to adhere to classic, uh, you know, stereotypes it's, or whatever. It, exactly. It's it's not the time, it's not the era, and it's definitely not the place. If that is something that you know, on, and you know, and I'm speaking directly to those people now who do want that. If that's something that you want, then just go watch the old Star Trek shows or or movies, or find a time machine and go back in time constantly just to continue to relive it. Because it's like what you're asking is not going to happen, and I feel that complaining that it's not happening is weird. It's not even selfish. It's just weird. Well, and on top of that, it's also like if you look back on the makeup in those day, days and ages, um, it was ambitious to try and take on these new projects to, to bring a vol like just as simple as a Vulcan is, it was ambitious to actually try and say, yeah, this is an alien with a pointy ear and hair just like this kind of thing. And that it was equally as ambitious to add on to that in next generation to make Romulans kind of thing. And so at that point, I don't see the new makeup jobs as more than, being extra ambitious because you're trying to flesh out this universe. You're trying to show that multiple races are coming together to form this federation and to work together. Um, will I acknowledge with them that in some cases it makes it look like the face isn't moving 
yeah, it does, but it doesn't necessarily take you out of that equation. Um, cause there were a couple of times where that's where that first officer is talking to Michael Burnham and I'm, I can very clearly tell like certain parts of that prosthetic aren't moving properly and I don't care because his, his distress and his seriousness are still being conveyed through where I'm really looking his eyes. And so if you can at least pull that off, then it doesn't matter if you're, uh, if your prosthetic isn't working completely because it's still sold. Um, I will also say this. I'll give credit to the Klingons. Um, one person in particular reached out to me saying, do you like the new Kelvin Klingons? Um, I do because nothing against Worf, but back then there was only so much you could do with makeup. And now we can, we can go so far beyond that. Um, in particular, I know a lot of people don't like the fact the new Klingons don't have hair. Uh, they're straight bald. And I don't necessarily mind this because this is supposed to also be an earlier step in their evolution. So you could easily make the justification. Oh, hair came later kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't necessarily care about that, but also the fact that they do look um, more warrior like more based in fantasy. I would actually dare say some of their crap looks like it's out of Diablo, Um, like out of a Diablo game. It just it sells the, the race and the aesthetic even more now than than Michael Jordan could have ever sold it back in the 90s as Lieutenant Worf. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll compliment it. Do I think it can get a little ex, uh, a little overdone? Sure. I didn't really like it when Abrams did the CG aliens. Um, but as long as you don't go that direction too much, I'm fine. Uh, do what you can to make an Andorian look more authentic. As long as it's authentic, that's really all that I care about. That's that's why in a lot of cases I I like the fact this is based in the Kelvin timeline. We aren't necessarily bound by what we've seen in the original stuff because now we have uncharted or uncharted windows to be able to to go look into. So we've already been speaking for almost about ninety minutes. So I think that's actually a really great place to kind of end the the podcast. So first of all, thank you so much, Brenton, for coming in on here and sharing your geekery in Trectum. And uh, here's hoping that when we actually get into the other sci-fi franchise, we will have enough people convinced to at least hear our sides of the argument when we discuss Star Wars. But first of all, if people want to reach out to you and ask ask you stuff about Trek, but also see the content that you provide, how do they do that? So I can be found here on YouTube at Brinton Volley Gaming. Uh, My name is spelled B-R-I-N-T-O-N-V-A-L-L-I. Um, I produce uh, Let's Play content on my YouTube channel. Um, I'm currently now finishing Final Fantasy VII, which is super awesome to say. Um, I just kind of had a little bit. Um, I just kind of. I've just had a little bit going on in the past couple of weeks since my um, since I've gotten off my hiatus. So I haven't had any. Haven't really had time to sit down and record more episodes of that Let's Play, but I'm hoping to be able to really um, jump into it more when I get back from my honeymoon um, in mid-November because I am getting married in like a week from. Um, well, I'm getting married on November third, um, and then you can also reach me um, at Twitter at bvolley01, and. I mean, I know a lot of you like sending questions to Drac, so you're more than welcome to continue <laughs> contacting him as well. But, um, but I mean, feel free to 
tweet directly at me, ask me any questions that you want, even leave a comment on my video, and I'm pretty good at getting back to people um, and answering questions. So that's how you can reach All me. All right. Um, and yes, it, it's actually kind of funny. This this episode almost didn't happen just because of how close we are to your wedding because <laughs> we were trying to make this all work. And then eventually we have to do this basically after you come back from your honeymoon because you're probably involved for a good couple of months worth of, of podcast material. So yes, this I is going to be awesome. But uh, if people want to get a hold of me before the podcast, the best ways to be able to do so is you can actually look up my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash direct two, three, two, six, where you can see all of the awesome content that I provide, whether it be let's plays, reviews, vlogs, discussions about what I don't like, what I like. I pretty much put it all up there and I'm an all around geek. So I try to cater to as many people as I possibly can on the channel. Um, you could also reach out to me on Twitter at direct two, three, two, six, and you can also now reach out to my YouTube channel on Facebook at DracLP. So you'll be able to get up to the minute information when I release new videos, when I'm looking to see about doing new videos, I actually do go and get you guys' uh, second opinions on those. All that fun stuff can be done there. And for this podcast, well, a lot of things have changed since our last recording. First of all, there is an RSS feed, and we would ask that you guys support it uh, by going over to whywegeek.podomatic.com and check out the RSS feed from there. You can check out the most recent episode, which would be this one. And uh, also, you can now officially subscribe to Why We Geek on iTunes, which is an amazing feat that I've been trying to get to happen for all of my podcasts, and it's finally come to pass. So you guys can also check that out on iTunes and be able to have it with you on your morning, evening, whatever commute that you have. And also, you are able to leave suggestions for Why We Geek episodes, because holy crap, you guys have been asking everywhere, where can we get this specific Why We Geek episode? Because we don't think you have it in the list. You can leave that at whywegeek at gmail.com. So you guys are able to be able to leave your suggestions, and we have so much more in store. So before you write to me and say, you haven't done this yet, and you should be doing it, and here's why, Keep in mind, the list is pretty damn long at this point. I have tons of ideas, and even though we're ending this year, or we're getting ready to end this year, eh, the next year is looking pretty bright. So that's actually going to go ahead and do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. Thank you guys so much for liking, commenting, subscribing to both of our uh, YouTube content as well as to the podcast itself. And of course, for me and for Brinton, we will see you guys next month for the next Why We Geek. Why We Geek.